Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Foran. From cryptozoology, ufology, and the paranormal, to legends, forbidden history, and more. Listen in and explore the world of the weird and unexplained. Join me as I look into strange and fascinating tales and unearth the truths and theories behind some of the world's greatest mysteries. Be sure to head on over to our HQ, strangeology.com, where you can check out our blog, episodes archive, gift shop, and so much more. Now sit back, relax, and join me as we get weird. Hey all, welcome back to the show. I hope the last couple weeks have been good for everyone out there and, and everyone's summer has been been going well. Uh, I'm in the midst of preparing for the Cryptid Bash event, which is coming up on August 7th in Morgantown, West Virginia at the Morgantown Art Party. So <laughs> I've been staying really busy with that, just kind of planning things out, uh, getting getting all my ducks in a row. Uh, but th- this event's going to be really awesome, and I'll be vending there and, and hanging out with a solid crew of people uh, like the Moth Boys, who are hosting the event, uh, the Manic Pixie Dream Ghouls, Danner from Conjure Dust Designs, Easton Hawk, Jonathan Dodd, the Mystic Novelty Company, uh, the Appalachian Huntsman, uh, and, and so many more. Uh, it's just kind of wild how many uh, how many different folks that the Moth Boys got to to get involved with this, and and it's yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm hoping my table will look pretty legit <laughs> once I get everything together. I I wound up getting some custom printed banners and signage. Um, like and a table runner uh i've still got a couple of things to get and and put together uh for all my different merch items uh so (laughs) i'll be scrambling these last couple weeks but uh yeah it's it's gonna be a lot of fun and i'm stoked to hang out uh in person with a bunch of the kindred spirits out there that i've met along this journey with strangeology so yeah if you're in the Morgantown area uh, that weekend in August, definitely uh, come hang out and uh, you can find all the details uh, of who's vending and, and just the general what's going on uh, for that day. Uh, If you look for the event page on Facebook, uh, it's being updated with all the new vendors and everyone's bios and all that. So definitely check it out. Also uh, a new merch alert. I took the time and decided it was, uh, a good time to design a new enamel pin. Uh, the Mothman Stay Weird pin that I, I did a little while back has been really popular and people love it. And I'm running low on supply for that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be getting more made. But I, I had this idea for a Fresno Nightcrawlers pin. Uh, so I finally put it together. I got it ordered. So uh, definitely head on over to my Etsy shop. And uh, I've got a pre-order uh, listing there that you can check out to see what the design looks like. And if you like it and you want to help support the show, uh, you can put in the pre-order. I, I'm hoping to have these uh, in time for Cryptid Bash to have some on hand with me at least. Uh, but uh, enamel pins take a while to make and uh, my vendor uh, for them couldn't guarantee delivery by then. So we'll see. The, uh, the Mothman pins that I that I already have, I think, took like six or seven weeks to make. Um, 
And I only just put in the order for these like a week ago. So fingers crossed. I, I did put in a request and was like, yeah, I need these for an event. But they're like, well, we'll, we'll do our best. So, you know, fingers crossed. Hopefully at least by like, you know, early, mid-August or something like that. But uh, yeah, that's definitely check that out if you get the time. Uh, but anyway, uh, today's episode is, uh, it's a long one. So uh, I'm going to skip any news and, and that kind of thing today and just jump right into it. So for this week's guest, I brought on Amanda Paulson from Pretty Effin' Spooky. And we had a really fun time, uh, super fun conversation Uh, all about ghosts and the paranormal, uh, general spookiness and and our own personal experiences with with this this whole weird paranormal world that we live in. So get ready. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Tonight, we're going to get a little bit spooky. Yes, I am. I'm excited to be chatting with uh, paranormal investigator Amanda Paulson, who runs the Instagram page Pretty Effin' Spooky. Now, Amanda is a uh, paranormal researcher and investigator based out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, She has been into the paranormal since she was a kid. And in 2008, she joined her first paranormal investigation team and has since done solo investigations uh, as well as collaborations with other teams and investigators into the paranormal and the occult. And in 2019, hopefully I'm getting that year right, uh, Amanda started Pretty Effin' Spooky uh, to share her adventures and investigations with the world. So Amanda, how are you doing tonight? And uh, thanks for coming on to the show. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing good. You got that right, 2019, that's correct. That's my whole origin story. So yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I've been enjoying doing like a little bit of a little bit of research on on my guests and stuff. So I, I know what know what to expect. <laughs> nice. So, I like it. Yeah. So when you were a kid, um you had experiences in a haunted duplex. Am I getting that right? Um yeah. <laughs> what happened? there with those experiences and was that kind of like the starting point for you where you you realized that there's something more in the world than (laughs) we can really see and you wanted to start kind of delving into the world of the paranormal yeah yep so I I was born in California and then my uh, mom and my grandma and I we moved to Billings Montana where we got this duplex. <laughs> I don't know why I feel a need to um, differentiate that this is a duplex versus a house, but it was like <laughs> this weird like 70s duplex. I don't know. And I remember moving into this place uh, and checking it out before we moved all of our stuff in. And um, and I was like a kid with a big imagination. So I found this feather penny on the windowsill. Um, and I remember looking at it and being like, oh my gosh, this means something. In my eight-year-old brain, I was like, oh, this is weird. And uh, what's funny is that what followed is a totally haunted house. I uh, lived in, um, or lived in, I stayed in this room in the beginning that um, actually a vase on my dresser moved on its own. I was having like these really vivid nightmares. Um, It was very bizarre. I had my mom switch me rooms and it kind of um, subsided a bit, but that was my first foray into the world of strange. However, I was only like eight to 
10, 11 years old at this place. So I did not want to investigate it. I just knew it was happening. And I, as far as I can remember, I was not predisposed to spooky stuff before this time. Like I wasn't watching what would that time period have been? It was like the early 90s. So, you know, are you afraid of the dark or whatever? I wasn't watching anything like that. I genuinely believe that stuff just happened randomly. Um, and then it kind of kicked back up later in my teen years. But yes, the haunted duplex was my first experience with the paranormal. Right on, right on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I grew up in a house uh, that was built in the 1970s and had some interesting uh, experiences in that that house that uh, can't really explain, like uh, portraits kind of jumping off of an angled nail on the wall in the middle of the night or shaking beds and just kind of feeling like you're being watched. So and oh also knowing that like the previous owner who built the house, his son died in a motorcycle accident. So there was some thought like that maybe. <laughs> maybe yeah. that was a connection so yeah the 70s the 70s houses <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about it I you know that just sparked like a not like an idea in my head because 70s architecture like these older places from the I'm I was born in 90 but 70s places for some reason give me the spookiest feeling and I have no clue what it's about. I don't know why, but 70s architecture, 70s buildings feel very liminal to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Please, if somebody's listening and figures this out, hit me up and <laughs> tell me if this is a thing. But yeah, <laughs> 70s places are spooky to me for some reason. I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe it's the shag carpets. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the low ceilings and the shag carpet. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And the yeah, yeah, the low popcorn ceilings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about your time with your first uh, paranormal investigation team? Like, how did you come about meeting them, and and why did you decide to to join up and and get into that? Yeah. So. Um... I joined their group through Facebook. So in 08, I think, I don't remember when Facebook came out, but um, I, I found them on Facebook and I like applied to be in their group. They were a very serious group, um, really respectable, great group for me to have started in. Um, but I did have to go through like an application and then an uh, interview process and like the whole works. And so I joined that team in 08 and there was I think like 11 of us in the team I can't quite remember um but yeah I stayed in that group until I moved to Spokane in uh 2010 so I was there I was with them for a couple years got to um we'd have like monthly meetings they were awesome we learned a lot I had like a notebook a pad folio even um where I could keep my notes about all the different definitions uh, and pieces of equipment. And we did like um, household investigations as well as businesses too. So this was a time period, you know, when ghost hunters and ghost adventures was really big on TV. So um, we took it very serious and we were trying to, you know, and, and other people, the public took it serious too, because they were watching those shows. So we would get, you know, people would reach out to us and have us come investigate things that were happening to them. So um, that was a unique experience and one that I don't, I, I don't do that so much today. So yeah, gotcha. it was cool. Wow. That's pretty interesting that there's this whole application process for, is this team still doing investigations? Do you know, or did they kind of no. disband? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, they did. They disbanded. I think soon after I left. Not that I was like the rock in the group or anything, but I think it was just like, I don't know. Yeah, they disbanded though. I still uh, am in contact with a couple of them, but you know, and it's funny because all of us kind of in that group sort of. Um, we're still interested in the paranormal today, but like everyone kind of branched off and like did other things, myself included. Like when I first moved to Spokane, Washington, um, I was not prioritizing the paranormal for quite some time. I was 20 years old trying to like be an adult and figure life out. And sure. uh, they all had their own stuff too. So, but now um, now I'm back in it. And, and I know a couple of people follow me on Instagram that are still into it. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, glad that it was a a positive experience overall for you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so when you're on an investigation, what are kind of like the top signs to you that paranormal activity is actually happening? Is there like a, a feeling like kind of like a sixth sense type of thing, uh, that you can feel or, or is it more driven by what you can read on equipment that you're using? So this is an interesting question. And I've been asked this at different times throughout the last couple of years. And my answer seems to slightly change. Uh, (laughs) And it's interesting, you know, back in the day, when I first started, I identified as an empath, and I was super about that life. And I thought I could genuinely feel the energy in a place. I lost touch with that over time. And when I got back, uh, got back into this a couple of years ago with my blog, um, I rejected that. And I was like equipment only just really equipment focused. And now I'm learning to balance that and incorporate that feeling of going into a place, you know, quieting my mind, sort of focusing on what I am feeling and seeing if that has any value or any weight. Um, and then also using the equipment to figure out, you know, real life stuff that could be affecting the scenario, like high EMF that is like actually physically affecting people, you know, which has been known to cause paranoia or, um, you know, feelings of being watched and stuff. you know, you need to watch out for that stuff. And equipment's very handy for, I guess you could say for debunking some sure. of it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the, the feeling aspect of it helps you, you know, weed out some other stuff. So it's a balance of all of it, but Cool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, so one thing that I find interesting about some of the investigations that I've I've seen on like your YouTube channel or uh, your Instagram page is unlike a lot of other people that I, I've seen different channels and, and whatnot, you do uh, you'll you'll conduct investigations like during the daytime which sounds a lot more tolerable than doing that at night. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know for sure. Cause I haven't done any actual uh, ghost hunting myself um, except for gosh, when I was like 10 or 11, uh, one of my good friends growing up, we used to do like stakeouts in this old barn. His family bought this <laughs> old farmhouse, like pretty rural, uh, part of the town that we grew up in and it was like this old 1800s farmhouse had this big old barn and 
there was like one time we were in there in the middle of the day, just kind of like messing around. And we heard this disembodied voice say, get out in like oh, wow. clear as day. No one else was around. Like his father was like a off at work. And I think his mom was like in the house or something like that. <laughs> and then there was like another time where my friend was having a birthday party and we're up, you know, for the sleepover up all night. And I remember looking out the window of his living room and looking over towards this barn and seeing this orb of light floating around through like the windows in the barn. And oh, I was wow. like, nope, I'm not going to look out there again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, like, yeah, like the daytime things kind of interesting. Like, do you ever find evidence during the daytime or any mm. have a, any interactions like more so or less so than during like a nighttime investigation? Yeah. So, um, so oftentimes if I'm doing something during the day, it is in a place where I can't be at night. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm there investigating. And if I could do it at night, I would. Um, I personally don't believe that one way is better than the other. I happen to believe that the other or like this paranormal phenomena is ever present. So there's no reason for it to be coming forward at night versus coming forward in the daytime. Um, mm -hmm. So hypothetically speaking, you could communicate with the other at any time of the day. Um, I also do a lot of urban exploration and just kind of exploring abandoned buildings or just weird places. So that maybe is less so traditional ghost hunting at that point and more just exploring st the strangeness of, of these places. Um, but I have gotten evidence in the daytime as well as at night. A lot of people believe that at night there's less, I mean, there is less going on at night. There's less noise, there's less um, outside influence and you're more in tune to your senses and can pick up on more. I uh, think along with that at night, it's spooky and it's scary. And I think psychologically it can mess with you at mm. night and you're more likely to have, um, you know, false positive paranormal uh, reaction or activity. So I don't know. I think that people would benefit from investigating both day and night. I, I've gotten evidence from both. I, at night, it's more thrill seeking. It's more fun. I'm not going to deny sure. that. It's spooky. <laughs> it's cool. Um, but I think if we're going to all believe that ghosts exist, I don't think it makes much sense to say ghosts exist only at night. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's a good point. I mean, you do hear people are like, oh, there's like the witching hour, or like what, two or three o'clock in the morning where yep. the veil is supposed to be the thinnest. But yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that daytime versus nighttime, if there are entities like in another realm our yeah. time wouldn't really necessarily matter to them, which, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there might be some truth to that witching hour thing, which I need to dig more into that and understand exactly the root of, of the belief of that being like the spooky time. Um, but I have had some pretty crazy stuff happen around the hours of two and three in the morning. So that kind of contradicts what I'm saying. But um, I don't think it's so much a like thinning of the veil because I think that, oh, this is, I'll be short with this, but I could go on forever. Uh, but like, I tend to believe that 
we have our own personal veil and then it's a, a matter of lifting our veil to observe the paranormal to observe what's around us rather than there being a definite veil between us and that world um that's just my personal belief i just think it's always present like i said um but yeah i i don't know there might there might be something to that two three in the morning time frame though because i've had some crazy stuff happen at that time so i don't know to be determined i guess for me (laughs) (laughs) oh wow um cool well let's see um Let's talk about haunted dolls for a minute. I think uh, shortly after I I found out about your Instagram page and I followed your page, you had this haunted doll that you were experimenting with. Um, can you tell my listeners about this doll and what happened with it? Yeah. So I shared a haunted doll with my friend Therese who lives in Ohio and I live in Washington state. So um, I had her for a week and Therese had her for a week. Um, Her name was Betty or so the owners thought. Uh, We bought her on eBay for like 15 bucks. So we tried really hard to find an eBay haunted doll that wasn't like $500 because I I think that takes away the legitimacy of the haunting at that point. But um, yeah, so I had a week with this haunted doll and truthfully, I expected nothing to happen. I had the conversation with Sharice of like, hey, if nothing happens, we'll just scratch the whole thing. We won't post it. We lost 15 bucks. Like, who cares? Yeah. Um, and I was completely ready for that to be the reality because I've never had, to my knowledge, I've never had a haunted object before that like actually affected my surroundings. However, this doll was totally haunted it was super weird it was like um it was just very weird I I think at one point I um I heard oh this is another thing too my friend and I did not share with each other what we were experiencing so that we could remove the bias from our from our time with the dolls so um we made a video for each other at the end of it that was like going through what we experienced and we both um experienced like footsteps in our hallway which was really mind blowing to me because it's hard to lean into that and be like, okay, I think I'm hearing footsteps. I don't, I'm a very like skeptical believer. So um, to lean into that and have to say straight up, like, okay, footsteps, um, you know, the stuff moving around, like it was very bizarre. We both picked up on that. There were multiple spirits attached to this doll instead of just one, even though the description of the doll said it was just one woman named Betty. We picked up multiple spirits we kind of came to the conclusion that it could have been some kind of like vessel or like portal for energy. I don't know. Listeners, you'll have to watch my YouTube video to get the whole picture on that. But, but yeah, it was, it was spooky and it was really cool though. Like it wasn't scary. It wasn't cursed. It was just very cool. Um, And it forced me to really pay attention to what was going on for like an entire week. I was just constantly aware of, of my surroundings and all the noises in my apartment. It was weird. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and didn't you do kind of like a long distance kind of investigation, like over the internet with um, Charisse as well for part of that? Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we did, we did a Zoom uh, Estes session. So the Estes method is where you um, feed a spirit box through noise isolating headphones and wear a blindfold and then the other person asks the questions. So we did it over Zoom. 
Um, and uh, I think Sharice had the doll, but it absolutely worked. I mean, both of us, the answers that we were giving, um, not knowing what the question was, were like on point, they were accurate. At one point I said, uh, while Sharice had the blindfold on, I said, how many fingers am I holding up? And afterwards she said, two or whatever it was, yeah. it, it was wild. And goes to show that proximity, I guess, doesn't matter to these things. I don't know, it's bizarre, but also it made me wonder, you know, the doll was sitting behind Sharice during this. So could the doll see me through the screen or could the doll truly, could, could the spirits attached, could it move back and forth just by yeah. pure energy? It, it opens up a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really creepy. <laughs> it's almost yeah. kind of like a little bit of, um, uh, spooky action at a distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes it scarier. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The whole Einstein thing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny. The first time I heard about, uh, the Estes method was on Hellier, which is if you haven't watched it, listeners, you should watch both seasons. It's really fun and interesting and uh greg and dana newkirk do a really good job as well as their team it was pretty pretty cool but um is is the estes method something that you employ frequently with your investigations yeah so i had kind of um i was kind of privy to like using sensory deprivation in investigative uh like while investigating the paranormal I didn't have a name for it until I actually watched Tellier um, and saw how they kind of played with the with the method. Um, and, you know, I've been using it, gosh, basically since Sharice and I did that investigation together. I mean, that really uh, piqued my interest in it and uh, kind of opened my mind up to these like more, oh, I don't know, um, not unconventional because it's becoming conventional, but, you know, ITC, like uh, these communication methods uh, in order to communicate with the other. I think the S's method in particular and the way that it uses the spirit box, which is for the listeners, um, it's sweeping AM, FM radio stations just at an accelerated rate. Um, what I think is really interesting about the method is that it gives you the ability to communicate with anything really like hmm. you could really communicate with a spirit if a spirit's present you could communicate with an alien maybe like you could communicate with um any kind of like interdimensional being that like has the ability to communicate in that way and i also think it can open up uh the possibility to communicate between two people like with the estes method um like I, my, my friend, again, Sharice and I, we do a lot of experiments and, and things with this method, trying to, we call it like training to be psychic or whatever. <laughs> I'm not psychic, but we like to try to uh, communicate in these ways. I basically, I think that this method is just really revolutionary for, um, for the paranormal field for a lot of those reasons, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, I've, Obviously, again, I've never done any ghost hunting and I, I've never <laughs> obviously tried the Estes method uh, myself. But when it the sounds come through, since it's sweeping through uh, radio stations pretty rapidly, is it just like one or two words kind of come through um, 
and then you kind of just have to really closely pay attention to what's coming through or is it kind of more clear structured sentences that come through? Yeah. So in my experience, and this could, I don't know if this is the same across the board, but in my experience, it's not clear at all. I, there have been instances and I'll say it when I'm doing it, like, I'll say, wow, that was really clear. That was like 100% this word. A lot of the times it's like a lot of noises that kind of make up what I think sounds like a word. Um, Sometimes it's very clear. I I think a lot of people have heard the spirit box be used in the way that you just play it externally, like on a speaker. And every now and then something will come through that's like undeniably saying something. But a lot of it, especially in an Estes session, where you're sitting listening to this for an extended period of time a lot of it is intuition i think and i have learned to really open my mind up and like i said i i just say what i even think i hear or like what i think of too i've recently learned to say what i'm seeing as well because i'm blindfolded so i feel like it's an opportunity to lean into those um extrasensory abilities even if you are not in tune to them Normally, I think it's a good method to kind of put yourself in that place where you can, you can do that, you know, so, so it's a a mixture. Sometimes you hear words, sometimes you hear things, sometimes you don't. And you're just like, I don't know why I'm thinking of baloney, but (laughs) baloney. And then like, it could end up being right. You know, you never know. (laughs) You never know until you try. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. Um, Are there like other similar um, methods or like phone apps that are are useful like I remember years ago when I first got an iPhone there was this like ghost tracking app that (laughs) it would show the radar screen and then it would do like a little blip that would be like oh there's a ghost nearby (laughs) which (laughs) obviously is probably totally bunk but (laughs) are are there any other things like that that are actually uh, legit that are useful in investigations so there is another experiment. Um, I'll get into apps in, in a second, but there's another experiment called the Gansfield experiment, hmm. which I've never gotten to do. And um, I'm not going to get into because I'm just not uh, not an expert on it. But um, it's like where you use red light and uh, ping pong ball uh, cut in half and you put them over your eyes. Uh, similar sensory deprivation I, experiment um, that dates back not from Hellier, <laughs> but um, so that's another method that's similar if people wanted to look into it. Um, as far as phone apps go, uh, one that I know my friends like is Necrophonic. Um, I don't have any phone apps, to be honest. I um, don't use them. I just am really not very trusting in stuff like that. <laughs> so, but I do know a lot of people have a lot of good things to say about the Necrophonic app. I got to see it used recently on an investigation at St. Ignatius Hospital. And it did say some compelling things, but I also, it's just, for me, there's just too much possibility that, you know, words could be programmed in there. Like if you've ever heard the Necrophonic app, it comes through like a, like how a Frank's box or a, gosh, what's the name of it? A Frank's box. I don't know. Um, but it comes through really spooky and it's like, hmm. uh, has a lot of reverb on it. Um, and, uh, it just seems a little bit of a hack, but no offense <laughs> to anyone who uses it. Um, that, that to my knowledge is the best one out there. There's also like ghost tube, which is an SLS app, which tracks where a ghost is supposedly in the room. Um, but 
you know, the spear box, uh, I use an SB seven. It's I think 60 bucks on, um, online. So I, and I think the necrophonic app is like 10 bucks. So you, mm. you might as well save up maybe and get, and get the piece of equipment. But if you only have 10 bucks, necrophonic is a good way to go. There you go. Well, <laughs> it's like, come to your own conclusions, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now you've mentioned on your YouTube channel, uh, that you you've had kind of like a long-term experience in the past with sleep paralysis. Um, is that something that continues to affect you? Um, and do you think that phenomena kind of could play a role in the paranormal or things like alien abduction uh, as a way to kind of explain uh, some of that phenomena in a rational way? Um. Yeah, so I I had a lot of experience with sleep paralysis for about um, 10 years, actually, from the time I was about 18 uh, to about 28, and I'm 31 now. Um, so I, I haven't had sleep paralysis in quite a long time, um, which is interesting also, like in its, it, in its own way, that's really interesting. But um, I think that there are very normal causes for sleep paralysis like what causes you to go into a state of paralysis um, while also being in like a dream state in your head and, and like these, these hallucinations being like manifested in the real world makes sense, like scientifically. Um, however, what is manifested, I think is what is really fascinating. Um, and, and just like a short Google search of sleep paralysis, you'll find that like tons and tons of people have seen the same exact, you know, black shadow figure or had the same exact uh, fuzzy feeling or, or whatever. And, and that I think is super, super interesting and could be, um, could potentially be paranormal. Um, it, it actually going back to the veil conversation, it kind of makes me think about the possibility of us lowering our own personal veil and making ourselves more vulnerable to the other side. And that could be the other side in a, in a spirit way, like ghosts. I don't know. Maybe there's a ghost in your house. You couldn't see it before. And now you're, you're super tired, super stressed out. And you're in this state of paralysis and, and all of a sudden you can see this ghost or it could be alien. Um, it, there's also some par like parallels between sleep paralysis, uh, like how you feel during sleep paralysis and abduction stories. So I, I think it's super fascinating. I, want to do more research into it um but in order to do more research you kind of have to have sleep paralysis <laughs> and yeah. I haven't had I haven't had sleep paralysis in a while I've tried to self-induce sleep paralysis um I did so for about three months um hmm. did an experiment trying to self-induce paralysis by taking melatonin uh which is just a vitamin to help you sleep but mm -hmm. I was trying to keep myself up past uh past the point of tiredness and also kind of enter like a meditative state in a way. And it never quite worked without me just falling asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't, I haven't mastered that yet, but I don't know. I, it, yeah, it's, I, for me, my sleep paralysis experiences, they um, started really typical where I was seeing a shadow, like a big tall shadow figure at the foot of my bed and mm -hmm. ended up uh, progressing into me, um, being paralyzed, but seeing full figured, uh, full featured people. And wow. sometimes I would see one 
so in my old apartment, um, before the one I'm in now, I would see, uh, like sometimes I would see one guy, one man, sometimes one time I woke up and it was three people and I was still in that state of paralysis, but to my knowledge, my eyes were open and, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to say for sure if I was dreaming or not, but you know, when you're like, I know, I know I wasn't dreaming. <laughs> I, I know my eyes were open. I just couldn't move. And, uh, so for me, it, it got really weird, uh, towards the end where, where it wasn't just the shadow figure. It wasn't just like some kind of demonic, weird, um, fuzzy thing that I was seeing. It was actual people, which really broadened my, I don't know, understanding or like understanding of the possibilities that sleep paralysis carries. Yeah. That's really interesting. I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people talking about like, I know there's like the hat man or just like the shadow people that people will see, uh, but actually seeing a three-dimensional, all details there, fully illuminated person. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had a couple of times where I've had sleep paralysis in my life. The first time, uh, and I don't think it was the first time, but the, the earliest one I remember was being... Uh, in college when I was living in a dorm room, uh, with two roommates and I laid down to like take a nap after a class one day. And I just remember being completely aware of the room. One roommate was playing, um, his PlayStation. The other one was watching like a sports game. Uh, <laughs> and I could hear everything that was going on. I could hear them talking, but I was totally paralyzed and then I would get the the feeling of like my teeth were like going back into my skull. Really, really not cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then more recently, um, in the previous home I lived in, um, I was kind of like pretty tired. It was I think it was the weekend and I decided to lay down, take a nap, close my eyes for a few minutes. And I was laying on my bed and I kind of got into that state where you're like still conscious but like the dream world is kind of like coming into mm -hmm. view which doesn't really happen very often for me or at all ever but I remember <laughs> just kind of like looking up at the ceiling and seeing these like four silhouette figures looking down at me kind of like I was on like an operating table almost and wow. I don't think I've really ever mentioned that to anyone or my <laughs> partner or anything so yeah if she listens to this she might be like Jeff what the <laughs> um so <laughs> She's like, what? I was in the room with you oh my god <laughs> no, no I think she was yeah. she was outside gardening or something but um <laughs> yeah that was definitely a, a weird experience for sure that's not you know something that yeah I personally want to welcome into my life no, on a regular, yeah. well, <laughs> a regular that, basis. That, yeah, that um, that state of paralysis, uh, what I learned when I was trying to self-induce that is that I would start feeling fear or anxiety while I was trying to enter this meditative state after taking the melatonin. And what's interesting about that is that that means that there's some kind of chemical I, I'm not a scientist. I don't know what I'm talking about really in this, in this way, but like, there's obviously some kind of chemical reaction happening that's creating this fear. But what comes forward, I think is, is the fascinating part about sleep paralysis. And I am surprised more people don't 
um, really delve deeper into it because, you know, why are we seeing these things? What are, what do they mean? Like I, I had a real quick story, but I had a sleep paralysis episode one time where I took a nap for some reason, they seem to be, uh, common with naps. I think it's because we're super tired and quickly entering like REM state or there's probably something to do with that. But, um, I was taking a nap on the couch and I was on my stomach and I remember the room just kind of the light lighting, just uh, like shifting sort of. So I didn't realize I was falling asleep. I just thought the lighting in the room changed and I was still awake and I could feel the hand of this man kneeling next to the couch, holding my hand. And I could feel all of the cracks in his skin and feel exactly how, uh, what the size of his hand felt like. And like, it was so, so real. And I was home alone. And, uh, and I remember him kneeling there and I was scared. And so then he went away and he like disappeared. And then I tried to get to the light switch to turn the light on, to make this experience stop. And I was crawling towards the light in my head. I was crawling towards it. Um, finally get to the light switch, switch it on. And then I wake up out of my paralysis episode. And so those, that kind of stuff is just so weird and so interesting. Um, Cause that is sleep paralysis, exactly how, how, you know, people who are smarter than me, like explain it to me, but why could I like feel this hand and why could I see this person? It wasn't just a shadow, you know, it, I could go on forever about sleep paralysis. It's super interesting stuff. Yeah. It kind of, it opens up the question of like, well, is there some kind of like, connection with that like the pineal gland and like what is what is the nature of consciousness if it's like local to our brains or is it our brain a receptor to something bigger out there it's a really really weird thing to think about yeah (laughs) definitely it's a really big a big thought yeah yeah it's definitely beyond uh beyond me for sure same (laughs) yeah um, what are some of the most interesting paranormal experiences you've had throughout your life? Um, so that sleep paralysis stuff is, yeah. is a big one. <laughs> that was all of that. All of those stories are pretty life-changing for me. Um, interesting paranormal experiences. Um, well, I'll go with reset. I have a lot of, I, I find a lot of weight in the small things with the paranormal. Um, so I've had a lot of like this thing moved or I heard this voice or whatever. And I think those things are really fascinating and, and really should be a bigger deal, but are made to be less of a big deal because of media and how the paranormal is perceived. Um, but recently I was at the Lizzie Borden house, um, and, uh, made a big fuss about it on online. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and I stayed in the Lizzie Borden house alone and I had taken a tour of the house and I knew I was completely, completely alone, no employees, nothing. And, uh, about 10 PM at night, I started hearing these like clear as day, just walking around like footsteps. There were footsteps above me in the room above me. There were footsteps in the hallway. There were footsteps in my bedroom. Cause I was sitting on the couch trying to watch t- or not couch sitting on the bed, trying to watch TikTok, eating my dinner actually, so this would have been like nine o'clock at night, I think when it started, but I'm trying to eat my dinner and just chill. And I can hear just, uh, it's an old house. I can hear these footsteps in the room and, and then I can hear it shift, uh, the wood from this like armoire, like this like closet, 
you know how if you walk next to something and it and it moves everything and i yeah. i could hear that and then i could hear it happening in the hallway and then i'm like what the hell and then later i can hear it upstairs it was all around me and it absolutely terrified me it was the the scariest moment of my life and it ignited like this like extreme fear it was like a fight or flight thing like I because part of me was like it's person even though I'm there to paranormal investigate there was a part of me that just could not accept the reality of paranormal phenomena being this um real you know like that like this like that doesn't happen really very often for me at least some people claim to have crazy stuff happen in every investigation and as much as I would love that that is not how it goes for me um but yeah it just it was just incredible and it in it there was no denying and no explaining explaining it away even on I, I was on live for like three hours because I didn't want to be alone or have like any moment of quiet which is funny because I was there to paranormal investigate and I I was just too scared I didn't want to do it anymore I was like no um but uh yeah so um ah, I lost my train of thought but anyway it was it was just crazy oh I was trying to uh explain it away and I would hear footsteps and I'd be like that might be the wind and then I like on the live you know I'd look out the window and it's just nothing like no wind at all the least windy night ever um and uh yeah that that's one that sticks out it was very recent I've had other experiences in my life that were you know either caught on video caught on my equipment I've had some experiences with equipment going off on command for like half an hour at a time hmm. with my team uh, we investigated this old home turned funeral home turned church building it was very weird um very much liminal and, and strange. And um, we had a piece of equipment that we were asking, you know, if you're a man, make it light up to this and it would. And then if you, if this, then make it light up to this color and it would, and it was intelligently responding to us for at least a half an hour. That experience also really stands out to me. And, and that kind of shows like, actually both of those experiences give you something that with equipment and something without a, equipment, you know, um, and, and how both are valuable and really incredible, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I remember you posting about, uh, when you were in the Lizzie Borden house, but you also, uh, checked out some other stuff when you were in new England in, uh, my neck of the woods <laughs> a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how was, uh, the rest of your, your time you did like the conjuring house with uh, a group of people right and yeah. uh, a couple of other things yep yeah so i did i went to salem massachusetts i stayed at the hawthorne hotel and did all the basic salem stuff that there is to do um but i didn't investigate necessarily i tried mm -hmm. to investigate inside my room at the hawthorne because it's supposed to be haunted did not come up with anything there um but i loved salem and uh we went to the conjuring house i went with a group of um nine other people from social media, um, which was interesting. It was very much kind of like a social media influencer type of investigation. <laughs> <laughs> I love them all dearly. It was not a traditional paranormal investigation though, but um, the Conjuring House was bizarre. And uh, the owner sp uh, spoke on some theories he had about converging ley lines and uh, well water and Native American land and some weird stuff that I thought was was intriguing and not the typical 
Um, mm. Because if you know the story of the parent house or the the old this farmhouse from the Conjuring movie, um, it was that they were um, that it was somebody was possessed by demons or whatever. <laughs> it was an Ed and Lorraine Warren case, so there were demons involved, yeah. and supposedly the Warrens um, got rid of the demons back in the seventies or whatever. So, um, yeah, anyway, the conjuring house is not traditionally haunted in my opinion. Um, but it was weird. And then, uh, and then the next day I went to the Lizzie Borden house. And before I went to the house, I stopped in the Bridgewater triangle area, um, which I didn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had heard about it online. And I just Googled it because I knew I was either close or going to go straight through it. So I was like, okay, I'll make a stop here or something. Um, Mm -hmm. I had no real plan. And I ended up parking in a church parking lot. It was Easter. Um, And I parked in church parking lot and fell asleep in the Bridgewater Triangle for a little bit, Uh, which honestly, I was just kind of miserable because I had fallen asleep at like 5 a.m. that morning at the Conjuring (laughs) House. But like, um, but I did take a little hike around the Freetown correct me on the name. I don't know. The yeah, Freetown, Freetown State Forest. Forest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that I really enjoyed my time on that hike. I later found out that, uh, it's like there's puck wedgies out mm-hmm. there and that also like there's lore about, about getting lost out there that it can be like kind of dangerous out there. I I've heard some different stories since I, I went, but I loved it. I thought it was yeah. really pleasant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's there's been some like murders and disappearances and stuff, um, apparently. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny. I did an episode about the the Bridgewater Triangle a little while back, and you know, did the research. And there's so many more things that I couldn't fit into one episode about it. But it's funny. My my fiance grew up in in that general area of Massachusetts. And she, she's like, yeah, no one ever really talked about the Bridgewater triangle or, or all this weird stuff. Like (laughs) like, I've never heard about any of that stuff. (laughs) It's just like the paranormal community just jumps on it and we're like, yeah, it's weird now. (laughs) But I I heard there's like a lot of like UFO sightings in that area and Mm -hmm. like some other strangeness. It it sounds like it's just like, and I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not actually like limited to the, that triangular area. Like I think it's like three town or whatever that area. I think it's just like that general new England area, honestly, yeah. just has a weird vibe to me, but, but you know, the, my hike in that forest was kind of weird in itself. Cause I did come across, um, like I just started walking and, uh, I mean, don't do this, don't get lost doing this, but I do think <laughs> that like, it is cool to trust your intuition sometimes if you're being safe about it and just kind of go off and be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just being led this way. And it ended up leading me to this bridge in the middle of the forest um, with like no point to it because it was just like wood on the ground. It wasn't really going over anything, maybe the tiniest crick, but like this weird bridge and it had carved in it like 1998 or something. So what's funny is I like walked across the bridge like I wasn't thinking I was like do 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 walk across the bridge get on the other side I was like uh, okay I'm gonna go back to my car now and then that night I ended up being at the Lizzie Borden house and having the absolute most insane night of my life and I was like did I later I <laughs> I contemplated I was like did I cr- cross some kind of threshold did I make some kind of deal that was like and I had actually been frustrated that day 
because of my lack of experiences from the conjuring house, I was mm-hmm. like, dang, it wasn't what I thought it would be. And then I feel like the universe just like punched me in the face and was like, you asked for it. Like, yeah. here you go. You know, more than you bargained for. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> wow. Um, how would you say that like East Coast uh, compares to like West Coast uh, vibes and like investigations? I mean, you, you, you've traveled around quite a bit, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hmm. So like the East coast was weird and I didn't get to, so the East coast for me is new England. I didn't get to go outside of new England Mm -hmm. East coast. Like I haven't, uh, really, um, gotten to go to like Connecticut, Pennsylvania, like some of those other States I'd love to visit and it might be different over there. New England to me wasn't, I'm so sorry. It wasn't as spooky as I thought it was going to be, (laughs) which is interesting because in my head I had associated old with spooky. And so I associated like this colonial time period, like the, the architecture, the stories behind New England. I had like, I had correlated that with spooky and I didn't, feel that and it was interesting to compare to my time on the west coast which is more felt more ancient over here even though I get I tend to get bored over here because there's not as many places to explore that are like physical buildings we're just not as old as far as you know like um settlers like colonizers you know like we're not as old over here Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot more history to our land uh well history everywhere god I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but um, <laughs> we we just have some really high strange stuff happening over here, especially with like Sasquatch and UFO type stuff in Washington State. We're we're known to be you know um, really concentrated with Sasquatch sightings and UFO sightings. Um, and so, but I don't like favor one or the other. I just didn't find New England as scary as I thought it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. On the other side of that, and you didn't ask me about this, but I'm saying it anyway, the South to me is spooky. The South gives that scary, like when I go to the South, I feel like I'm a visitor and like, like in a paranormal sense, by the way, I'm talking about all of this in like a a woo-woo paranormal vibe way. The South feels like I'm a visitor and like things are watching me and being like, what are you doing here? Like, it just feels very thick in the air of like of magic of of weird energy and i didn't feel that in new england as much um and not over here as much either but anyway was that an answer to oh, that absolutely. question i got i got yeah. went on a tangent um <laughs> we, but we like, again we like i'd like to i'd like <laughs> to experience more yeah yeah <laughs> i'd like to experience more of the east coast because i feel like i have a very limited view uh yeah. new england is all that i've i've visited so i'd like to see more of it yeah for, for sure. sure yeah yeah there's there's a lot of old stuff here definitely um mm-hmm. I've, I've actually never really been to the south before so that's i've been to florida but that's about it. <laughs> and like South Florida is weird too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff in Florida for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, now it's funny. You mentioned like Sasquatch and, and UFOs out in, in Washington does. I, I know that like, as far as like Bigfoot Sasquatch sightings, they seem to be more concentrated, like 
more in like the Cascades and the Olympic Peninsula and like down like the West Coast towards like California. Does Spokane have um any activity that you know of or do you know anyone that's like, I've seen a squatch? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I know um a handful of people in my like working life, like people who are not involved in this community at all. You'll find a lot of people, even in Spokane, who have seen or had experiences with Sasquatch. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily Spokane in particular, but um, there's a town called Cholila that's just north of Spokane, not too far. Um, and they hold the Psychic Sasquatch Festival. There's um, known Sasquatch sightings up there. Um, it's just like all of Washington State. And uh, it. I realized that it, like you said, the Olympic Peninsula, like the west side of the state where it's very um, lush and green. And then Spokane is also very lush and green and up north is, um, but then like the middle part of the state is farmland and more dry. And mm -hmm. that you see less Sasquatch sightings, which kind of makes sense, I guess. But yeah, we have it here too. I, I meet tons of people who are like, I totally believe in Sasquatch here. It's just a wash. It's like a Washington personality trait, I think. <laughs> which I'm down with but yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a big thing here in uh, in Spokane as well as the whole state nice that's cool <laughs> <laughs> um switching gears a little bit um you do a little bit of writing um writing articles uh like you you've done some stuff for Haunted Magazine and uh, you've contributed to the all-female occult journal, uh, The Feminine Macabre. Can you talk about that for a minute um, for my listeners? And, and uh, you know, what what's your involvement there? Yeah, so I actually only wrote one article for Haunted Magazine, um, but it was like a two-page spread about um, Spokane's Haunted Thousand Steps, which is in, our, in a cemetery here, uh, just a haunted staircase. Um, and then my story in the feminine macabre was centered around um, being a female, uh, not only just a female, but a solo female investigator in the field and re-entering the field um, at the age of 28 after having been out of it for a while. Um, and you know, I've written like my own blog posts and and my captions. I like to kind of ignite conversation and um, thought around the larger ideas that come from from the paranormal community I don't know like uh yeah I don't know I'm no professional writer or anything I enjoy writing but um I enjoy writing because I like to stimulate conversation and community within the paranormal field and I I think there's a lot of work to do around that still um especially being uh female in this field um you know because of of uh, paranormal media like ghost adventures that kind of um whoopsie uh that um you know there's like this stigma around ghost hunting that it's kind of a bro type <laughs> of type of endeavor like there's this like really masculine approach to ghost hunting in media and so sure. uh, my writing tries to kind of bridge the gap between that um and and you know I am that in one way but also bridge the gap between that and like the occult academic um, community and the Sasquatch alien communities and whatever. So I, I guess that's like what I'm trying to do with some of the pieces that I've written, but I don't write professionally. I just enjoy it. But yeah. 
Nice. Well, that's that's awesome. Um, for listeners out there, if you are able to get your hands on a copy of those, definitely do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, I've been jumping around a little bit here. <laughs> so I had some questions <laughs> like further down the line sorry. that, yeah, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> no, this is great. Um, so how do you go about picking um, what location you're going to go to next for your investigations? Mm, so picking what investigation I do next has a lot to do with money and <laughs> where I can take, where I can get my body to. And, but um, I, I'm in a, I am in a fun period of time right now where I'm trying to check off some really big items off my paranormal bucket list. So I do have some, some places I want to go just because they are famous haunted locations like uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, Trans-Allegheny, um, you know, other places like that, the Whaley House, these famous locations I'd love to investigate. Um, but then here in town um, or in my spare time, uh, choosing where to investigate gosh, I don't know. I just kind of, I kind of follow my gut, I guess on it. I have to really search for places out here. Um, unlike the East coast, I feel like the East coast has like the most concentrated amount of like places you can actually go investigate that like have you buy a ticket or reserve a night in Spokane. We don't have that. So I have to seek out places that I assume may be haunted, which is an interesting and like research process of like being like okay hypothetically speaking this hotel or this abandoned house or whatever could be haunted so um that kind of goes into me investigating in the daytime too is like I'm just out here trying to look for more experiences more opportunities to come in contact with or come as close as possible to the other as I can um I am kind of like a thrill seeker, adrenaline junkie in a way that is my traditional ghost hunting background. Um, but I'm also, you know, a student of the occult. I want to understand these energies. I don't want to just read about it. I want to understand it all. So I'm kind of just putting myself in any scenario that I think something strange might happen. And that's not limited to just a haunted, famous haunted building, as fun as those are, you know, I'm just yeah. kind of going wherever wherever my ghost heading tools will lead me. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your favorite place that you've, you've gone to so far? Mm-hmm. Has it been, has it been in the Pacific Northwest or somewhere else in the country? Um, favorite. Hmm. I'm annoying. And like, I'm, I'm going to try to actually answer this and not just be like every place is a favorite for a different reason. Um, <laughs> I really liked going to Thornwood Castle, which was in Tacoma, so near Seattle in Washington. Yeah. I have a friend um, out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll have to tell yeah. him about it. <laughs> yeah, Thornwood, ca- I mean, it's a little spendy. It's You stay, it's like an Airbnb, but you get to stay the night in a castle. Oh, that's and there cool. was some weird stuff that happened there. My friend and I stayed there, and uh, I got a pretty good EVP really late at night um, in there. And so that was a really cool place to investigate and very magical feeling um but also like this is kind of a boring answer but I've investigated um oh this is local actually this place called Palisades Park I enjoy outdoor locations um and investigating kind of like 
the woods or like nature, I think there, there's a lot to uncover that isn't traditional ghosts. Um, and there's a, a park here called Palisades Park that's like a waterfall and it's very, it has very strange energy. I love investigating there um, or, you know, just exploring around there. And then also the Olympic Peninsula as well. Um, I had a chance to investigate the uh, Olympic National Forest and, um, and, a, and a secret location out there that was really, really cool um, and really kind of, kind of out of my element. It really uh, pushed me to, um, to kind of understand how to uh, weed through what is ghost and what is creature and what is elemental, you know, mm. like all of, the Olympic Peninsula has all of those energies. So I liked investigating out there for that challenge. Um, and I'd like to investigate out there more, but yeah. 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 Oh, the Olympic Peninsula is beautiful. I've, uh, the last time I was in Washington was, oh gosh, 2016, um, took a trip out to Seattle and with my fiance, um, and we did a day trip, um, across the Puget Sound and went over to, uh, the hot spring, uh, there to <laughs> just hang nice. out in the hot spring. I think it was Solduck or something, but oh, the whole, yeah. yeah, the whole yeah. area, like driving to that particular location is just like the, the rainforest. And I was just like, mm -hmm. when is Bigfoot gonna like peek his head around a tree, like driving yeah. miles through the woods and it's in so wild out there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it it's so like, to be honest, being out there, I, I was just recently out there. So I've been filming a documentary out there um, that just wrapped up. And uh, the last time I was out there, I got a little cabin out near the Sol Solduck hot springs. It was like in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I, I thought I was going to try to investigate uh, around this cabin at night or do what I don't know what I was going to do, but I thought I would, I would do more. And it actually really scared me. And hmm. I was like, why is this so scary? Cause it's just the, I mean, there's animals and stuff, but like, it, I was like, it feels so, um, I don't know, just like heavy with, with high strangeness. It's just weird out there. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of like elemental energies and like nature spirits and things I don't understand out there, uh, that make it really, really fascinating to me. But the documentary was based out of like near Port Angeles, um, oh, area. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll come out in uh, December. Nice, but, nice. Um, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, the only other place that I think, aside from some from some spots in, like, Vermont, <laughs> where I'm from, uh, that have, like, felt kind of like that is, like, the Mogollon Rim in Arizona. I'm not sure if you've ever mm. been there. Like, the Payson mm -hmm. area. That's, like, in, probably even, like, Flagstaff, like, heading down to Sedona. There's some definite, yeah. definite like oh, Sedona. squatchy yeah. vibes. And also Sedona yeah. is like a vortex area yeah. where high strangeness happens. The desert that, is so. weird too. Yeah. I was out in Joshua Tree last year. I cool. I I booked like a little um RV type thing. Like it was cool, but it was it was scary. I was like, again, another instance of me being like full of myself thinking I can <laughs> uh do more than I can. And then I got out there in the desert because I wanted to like stargaze and see a ufo was my goal and uh i'm out there and all of a sudden i'm like hyper aware of all of the noises and i'm just thinking 
about all of the lore for the desert. And I was like, oh my God, it's yeah, like, like <laughs> so intense out in there. And over my yeah. head. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. No, it's it's beautiful out, out there too. Like my fiance and I took a road trip through Arizona, Utah, and then we we did like the Hoover Dam one day and mm. we were going to contact in the desert um, in 2018 and we were going to do like a straight shot from the Hoover Dam all the way to um, Palm Springs, mm. the Palm Springs area. And we, mm -hmm. you know, drove through, we drove through the California desert for like three, four hours and it was just like, it was wild just yeah. going through there. And I think the sunset before we, we hit um, Joshua Tree probably like a good hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So didn't really get to see it during the daytime. Yeah. But <laughs> it's trippy. It's trippy yeah. out there. I did not see a UFO out there. I wish I did. But yeah, I love the <laughs> desert. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, we actually did. Um, and I, I've mentioned this on on previous episodes, but doing uh, on that particular road trip when we were in the Las Vegas area, we traveled north up to Rachel to go do um, a drive-by of Area 51. And cool. we stopped at the little alien and and mm -hmm. the guy that was like the bartender there told us this story. And I'm not sure if he's still there and I don't remember his name. So if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> but he, uh, I think he was from New Mexico and he had only been working at the inn for I think a few weeks at the time. And he was telling us this story that he was out camping one night and he saw like this portal. He was out in the desert in New Mexico. Right. And he saw this like portal open up in the sky in some like light craft, like drop out and just kind of jet off at like light speed, like wow. somewhere. And I was just like, huh? <laughs> well, that's a thing. Yeah. That's I mean, so cool. Yeah. yeah, I haven't gotten to see like I haven't gone over to the Area 51 area. Yeah, I wanted to fit that in my last trip, but too much to see. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's cool. Yeah, it was fun for sure. Um, well, let's uh switch gears a little bit and talk about gear. Um, what's your favorite equipment to do investigations with? And like what would you say are like the top five essential items uh for ghost hunting? Yeah. So, um, my favorite item would be a digital recorder, I think. And this, uh, this changes sometimes. I, sometimes I feel like my favorite is the spirit box, but then sometimes I get sick of that, uh, probably cause it's obnoxious to listen to. Uh, <laughs> and I think a digital recorder is just such like a tried and true thing to have on deck. Um, aside from like a camera, but I'm not going to count your phone. I use my phone for, I have my phone on me all the time. Um, a digital recorder, I use a Zoom, uh, Zoom H1N recorder. Uh, I love that. Um, and then top five would be flashlight, digital recorder, some kind of EMF meter, some kind of meter to measure electromagnetic field for both debunking and for communication or like I, I think they're less reliable for like actually finding ghosts, but I think that EMF meters are valuable for actually identifying high levels of EMF in a hmm. location. Um, so flashlight recorder, some type of EMF meter, um, and then the spirit box with the, uh, with the uh, accoutrement to uh, do the Estes method. So 
noise isolating headphones and a blindfold. And I think with all of that, that's six items, I guess, technically, but with all of that, you could conduct a pretty solid investigation. But truthfully, if anyone's listening and wants to get into ghost hunting, you can just use your phone. Like your phone can do everything. It can record, it can take pictures, videos. It can, you can put a necrophonic app on it and like it can do everything you want. But yeah, I think that's my five go-to. I have so much equipment, way more than I need to be honest, but yeah, there it's fun though. A lot of it is really fun. Cool. Cool. (laughs) What's your take on Ouija boards? Is that something you ever use? Yeah, I'm, I'm pro Ouija. I'm, I have like six sitting right next to me right now. Oh, man. <laughs> I, uh, and that's like very few compared to some people's collection. Um, oh, I actually have seven now, I think. I just realized. Um, but uh, I'm pro Ouija board. I think that it is a, a tool to help you communicate um, to the other, uh, just like anything else. And I think it's gotten a really bad rep uh, due to movies and um and, you know, some people would argue with me and say they've had negative experiences with Ouija boards. I think you can have negative experiences with lots of forms of spirit communication um, if you are approaching it like how a lot of people do Ouija boards. You know, if anyone is here, come forward. If anything's out there, anybody wants to come forward, you're welcome to, you know, mm-hmm. any anytime you approach a situation with the spirit realm in that way you open up the door to like all sorts of kind of energy to come through. Um, so I think if you use a Ouija board wisely, it, it can be really cool. It can either, you know, you can either talk to a spirit or what I think happens often is, uh, you can, this is going to get a little woo woo and a little weird, but, um, I've found that it's really cool to kind of tap into your subconscious too, because there's no denying that, that your own micro movements are moving the planchette and you yourself is moving the planchette. I've yet to do the Ouija board and see the planchette move on its own. Um, I've never seen that in real life after doing it many, many times. So yes, you are moving it. Um, but like, why are you moving it? Are you talking to, an, an ancestor I don't know this depends on like your personal beliefs but you could be talking to anything or you could be somehow communicating with the other person you're doing it with um I don't know I think all possibilities of what is coming through on a Ouija board is interesting and yeah. I think it should be considered um or it should be you know looked at as like any other piece of equipment I don't think there's anything evil or demonic about it at all <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. No, I've, I've certainly had a couple of times that I've been involved with using or observing a Ouija board being used. And then later on some kind of high strangeness happening. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Ouija board was actually, um, actually, uh, the Ouija board was the catalyst to my sleep paralysis, um, episodes and hmm. uh my sleep paralysis started directly after I first used a Ouija board with a friend back when I was 18 um and we we contacted some spirit uh, I don't know if it was connected but it was like right after not the night of but it was I remember it just coming like the week of or something um and we used the Ouija board that night and it was very weird and it was a little scary at one point there was a fly buzzing around us and we were joking like oh, this fly is so annoying. If there is really a ghost here, will you get rid of the fly? Get rid of the fly for us. And the fly yeah. 
flew directly into our tea light candle and lit itself on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, and it was spooky. I, it's spooky, but so is ghost hunting. You know, I, it just, I think it would be silly for me to say the Ouija board is evil or is like not a good method, but then I have a case full of other things and like a teddy bear that can be used, like a specific teddy bear that can be used to investigate ghosts and like other really creepy things like dowsing rods and all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to say that that stuff's okay. And a Ouija board is not okay. I think it's all one and the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's uh, setting your intention. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The power of intention is, can be quite a thing. uh, I've learned. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So Gosh, I, I got a, f- a few more questions for you. And then I actually have some audience questions too that I want to get into. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on real quick um, is that you recently, and it, you know, still could be potentially paranormal, but not necessarily ghosts, but you had a UFO sighting that was pretty intense. <laughs> Can you talk about that? What happened? Oh my God, don't get me started. I'm just <laughs> I had a moment recently. I, yes, I believe that I did see a UFO with my friend. I'm going to preface this story by saying I did find out that Starlink, freaking Starlink, did go by at the same time. However, mm. I Googled my butt off and I looked up any sighting of Starlink and what that's supposed to look like. And mm-hmm. it did not look anything like what I saw. Yeah. The, the <laughs> so, trail, the trail of dots all moving at the same time across the sky. It didn't yep. look one. It didn't look one thing like that. And my friend confirms and she's not even like into this kind of stuff. And we were out hiking and we saw this like self-contained shape, like kind of like a, I said cigar shape, but that's like stretching it because I know that cigar shapes are associated with UFOs. So I think I was trying to give it that (laughs) identification, but it was definitely a self-contained like oblong shape that was floating above us and looked very much in our universe, like in our universe, (laughs) in our uh, atmosphere for a period of time with, with life inside of it. And what's funny is that later afterwards, I did see the Starlink trail and so um i'm using for the listeners i'm using my hands a lot i'm getting really worked up right now Um, (laughs) and so so i googled and i like i said i did find out that starlink went by the same time however the thing that we saw it didn't look like starlink it didn't look like anything i could find online and it made me wonder um it's a very conspiracy theory uh of me but it made me wonder if what we saw, whatever it may be, uh, UFO uh, or alien UFO kind of thing, or I'm also near an Air Force base as well. But whatever it was made me think maybe they did that during Starlink passing over on Mm. purpose is what it made me think. I was like, is there some correlation there to, because anyone who's in a UFO stuff, like the rise in not only actual UFO sightings, but false UFO sightings, like uh, actual, like weird, weird stuff that like Elon Musk or whoever is is flying out in space right now. It is so rampant right now. I'm like, 
is there more to this? Like, is it, is, is maybe some of it real and the real or God, it's all real. I'm not, I'm not discrediting <laughs> any UFO sightings, but like to what we actually know of that's out in space, is that maybe hiding what we don't know of, you know, or is, is there more at play here? Anyway, that was a whole tangent. I, that really shook up my world recently and, and kind of sent me into a spiral a bit. Uh, and I'm sure anyone who's ever seen anything that they can't explain will relate to this. It was very difficult for me to explain it to somebody and then say, oh, that's Starlink. Oh, that's got to be explainable. It's not what you think you saw. And then to say, no, I saw it. I saw it. I swear. It was, <laughs> it was quite the experience. <laughs> yeah, it always is. And those kinds of things just kind of happen when you don't expect anything ever like that yeah. to happen. And yeah. People... And I... <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, well, I just remembered, and I want to say this on record here, and it's the only place I've said it so far, is that another reason why this sighting was so bizarre was that I, I have a, I am a spiritual person. I have a craft that I practice and I had actually left an offering on my hike. Um, and I don't often leave offerings for, um, it was for a deity that I work with and I don't often leave offerings, but I left an offering. It was also the night of the, uh, super blood full moon, whatever. And then after we saw this, we also heard this like pack of coyotes near nearby, which was very bizarre. And you wouldn't think that, uh, like that mystical kind of like witchy experience would be related to a UFO experience, but I'm learning that I should not deny the, that kind of coincidence mm -hmm. or, you know, the strangeness behind all of that happening in succession. So, and that's something I didn't mention online was like all of these things happening at once, making it way stranger than just the soul, like looking up in the sky and accidentally seeing Starlink and thinking it's a UFO, you know, yeah, it was just yeah. like a very, very weird succession of events. Yeah. That's definitely like delving into the realm of synchronicity with yes. all of that stuff happening yep. <laughs> one after yep. the other. And yeah, I, I've had some conversations with people recently about just like all the different interconnectedness with high strangeness phenomena, whether it be UFOs and aliens or cryptids or the supernatural. It's, it's really interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah, For I think sure. so too. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, well, I'm going to open it up for audience questions. Um, since we're, let's see, we're about, yeah, well over the top of the hour, but that's cool. Cause we're going to keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's see. First question here. Uh, creature kids books asks, uh, do you have any thoughts on thought forms? Like, like thoughts that egregores. create demons. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. Uh, like tulpas and egregores. Uh, yes, I do have thoughts on thought forms. Um, I am still learning. So I don't speak from a place of authority on this topic. Um, I'm very new to like the academic circle and like really delving into topics like this. Um, but I think that, um, I think that egregores are really common or more common than, than we think in the modern ghost hunting world. 
And with these famous locations um, that all of these ghost hunters are going to and injecting their hopes and their preconceived notions of the uh, the hauntings. And, you know, you have all these ghost hunters going into this location being like, I want to see a ghost. I, I heard that there's this kid ghost named Timmy or whatever. I like they just inject all of this feeling and energy into a place that I think that it's very possible that a lot of these famously haunted locations are actually egregores. Hmm. Um, but I don't think that takes away from one, the possibility of contacting a thought form uh, with equipment and it, and it doesn't take away, um, you know, the value of, of the fact that that's even possible, you know, and I know that egregore can go into larger topics and like more um, like socioeconomic, like societal stuff as well. Um, and that's where I'm still learning a bit um, on the topic of, of egregores in that context. But, but yes, I have thought on, on that before in terms of like, when I'm going to say Waverly Hills, I went to Waverly Hills recently and that really was something that I was thinking of there. You know, how many people have have given their own energy into this place and created something that becomes then the Waverly Hills we know today. And that maybe it's not a traditional actual, um, sorry, um, maybe it's not actually um, like the ghost of a, the spirit of a person but maybe it's you know the thought that we injected in the place yeah i love that topic i'm still learning a lot about it but yeah, yeah. Uh, same here same here i definitely need to dive into more research about those uh those topics uh, i've certainly heard about them on other podcasts a whole bunch of times so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's a very fascinating idea for sure um so the next question uh, we have is from Jonathan Dodd, and he asks, "What's your favorite ghost story?" Um, my favorite ghost story. There's so many running through my head right now. I'm like, "What is my favorite ghost story?" Uh, you know, hmm. I'm gonna have to be honest and say I don't know if I have a favorite ghost story in particular, but. For some reason, what's coming to mind right now are like archetypal ghosts and um, the many, many ghost stories of ladies in white, ladies of the lake, the man with the hat or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like a crying baby, a mom on the side of the road, like whatever, all these different. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All of these different archetypal hauntings and the stories behind those being so similar and so um widely known and and that people see and have those stories all over the world um i i love looking into those stories and and um i love reading and learning more about archetypal hauntings and kind of considering you know what that really is about because is it really that there are multiple like is our final form sometimes a woman in white is that like what a person becomes or is a woman in white multiple spirits that create like a tulpa or whatever or like is it something completely different is it you know a creature is it a cryptid like who knows it, it really opens opens up the mind so uh i would have to say broad answer to that is like paranormal archetypes and uh, those traditional ghost stories nice nice 
<laughs> uh, this <laughs> next question, um, maybe you already answered it, but I'll ask it again. Um, Sullen Observer asked the question, do you have any favorite places in the Pacific Northwest uh, that you've investigated or places there that are on your, your wish list or your, your bucket list? Oh, I do have a place that's on my bucket list in the Pacific Northwest, um, and it's uh, Northern State Hospital. It's an abandoned hospital um, up in Cedro, Cedro, I think is how you say it, Cedro Woolley. Um, that's on my bucket list here. I have more places on my bucket list than I do have favorite places. I kind of spoke on favorite places, which would be couple places in Spokane and then the Olympic National Forest. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd also like to spend more time in Port Townsend, um, which is on the west side, which uh, that area in particular has a lot of converging ley lines, which I mm. love ley line theory. And I'd like to do more research into that and seeing if there's a concentrate of high strangeness in that area. Um, and then there's also uh, a cemetery up there. And the uh, name is escaping me right now. Dang it. But it's a uh, it's cemetery with this monument that is all these limestone chairs around a big uh, stone table with these big pillars. It's very, very weird. Oh, Afterglow Vista. That's what it's called. Afterglow Vista. Look it up, everyone. If you don't know about it, it's very strange. Um, and it's also on the west side. It's a very long drive for me, though, but it's a uh, that's on my bucket list too. There's lots of strange stuff in uh, Washington alone. That's not even getting into Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, okay. Next question. Uh, Ice Age man, Powboy 78 <laughs> asks, uh, aliens or cryptids, which is more interesting to you? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, cryptids, I would say. Aliens is such a fact to me. It's like there are aliens. Mm -hmm. cryptids are like are cryptids aliens <laughs> are they creatures <laughs> you know that cryptids are more fascinating to me uh i've never seen a cryptid i've had like very uh kind of like surface level experiences with sasquatch but like i've never personally had a, seen a cryptid um so i find that a lot more fascinating i've never seen an alien either but aliens is just Fact to me yeah there's right, definitely yeah. <laughs> there's definitely aliens out there but there's room for me to um believe more encrypted so i find that more fascinating cool cool <laughs> <laughs> um next question oh we got two more uh, <laughs> it's probably the most <laughs> questions anyone's ever asked for any of my guests so far it's just kind of like blew up <laughs> i was like oh, oh cool <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on yeah uh so yemi um from cryptid chat uh asks what do you do to protect yourself during and after investigations? I love this question. I have gotten this question before. Um, so for myself personally, I don't actually do anything in particular before or after investigations. And that's because I have a daily practice in which I have, you know, personal protective wards in my house. I protect myself with jewelry or with, crystals or oil or whatever. I have many, many different ways that I protect myself daily uh, as part of my daily um, spiritual practice uh, that I feel strong enough to go into my investigations um, without doing anything special. I just feel protected as it is. And I think, I mean, everyone has their own 
their own beliefs, their own spiritual practices, religion, whatever. I think that if you have a, a close relationship with something like that as it is, then I think that I, I really truly believe you're protected enough to go into an investigation and not have anything attached to you or anything bad happen. I think you're divinely protected always and that that there is no just protecting yourself before something and cleansing yourself afterwards. It's, it's a daily thing for me. Awesome. That's a really great answer. I, and I loved that question too. I was like, oh, that's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last question we have is uh, February Mary uh, comes from February Mary. And they ask um, if you need a sidekick and that they are available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if anyone is in the Spokane metropolitan area, I'm always available and open to uh to try to coordinate something so i'm not opposed to meeting up we're finally kind of getting out of the weird 2020-ness stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> um and uh yeah that's cool i could always use a sidekick i like to say uh and i'll i'll leave us at this question on this note but um anyone can do what i do i there's nothing like we're all special and unique in our own way, but there is nothing that makes me special enough to do paranormal investigations or to be a ghost hunter. If you want to communicate or hunt or uh, talk to weird stuff, then you are a ghost hunter. You're a cryptid hunter, you know, like by solely doing it, you are, you are the thing. So anyone can do it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so Amanda, what's, um, What's the number one thing that keeps you motivated to to keep doing what you're doing, uh, investigating the paranormal and the occult? Um, gosh, my motivation gets really deep and existential. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm motivated by my. Hmm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this my one motivation is like my own need to come to terms with my mortality. And, uh, and it, it's interesting. I, I come to this field from a place of curiosity, but also from a place of fear. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good or bad thing, but it's the truth. And I, I have a hard time coming to terms with my own mor mortality and the fact that I will one day not be here. Um, and also the fact that people that I'm with will also not be here one day. And there is this innate hope in me that there is more to it after, after we're here, before we were here and that there is like a bigger energy at play. Um, and so I continue to investigate to, I don't know, help me understand the larger forces of the universe and, um, and also kind of to help validate you know, some of the weirder stuff that I've experienced. And I know some people might disagree with it. You'd be surprised to find that some people don't think that you should seek validation in, in this. Like it, it's kind of a place of ego. Um, but yeah, it's the truth. I don't know. I'm motivated by uh, not wanting to die and, um, <laughs> and uh, not wanting to just cease to exist after, after I leave this plane. I, I'd really like for all of this stuff to just for all of it to exist. It, it makes life way more interesting, you know? So yeah, yeah that's sure. my motivation. 
death. <laughs> right. Well, it's one of the the big two questions, right? Uh, where mm-hmm. do we go after we die, and are we alone? And it seems pretty clear yep. there's aliens out there. So one question left. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so one final question before, um, I stop asking questions. (laughs) It's something that I've been asking all my guests, um, out of all the high strangeness out there in the world, what keeps you up at night the most? Hmm. Like, like out of fear or like out of like, I want to know the answer or either. (laughs) I guess either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what keeps me up at night? God, well, dang it. I think I already answered it. Uh. <laughs> like mortality. Uh, but there you no, go. There you go. yeah. What keeps me up at night? <clears throat> um, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm simultaneously scared of everything and also totally at terms with, with all of the scary things. Like I've seen a lot uh, and I yeah. don't, I, I'm not necessarily kept up at night by any idea of anything. I, I also don't particularly subscribe to the idea of demons or anything like that. If we're talking like ghost hunting stuff. Um, so what keeps me up at night is like, yeah, are we alone? What is all of this about? What does all of this mean? You know, like really existential stuff. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a cop out answer, but Yeah. Uh, my own mortality <laughs> there, keeps there me up at night. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe the meaning behind it all is it's all just a simulation for someone else. Who knows? <laughs> Seriously. God, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been uh, a really great and fun conversation. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on the show tonight. Uh, Amanda has agreed to hang out for a bit longer uh, for my Patreon members segment, Strangeology Beyond, after the regular show is over to talk about some more weirdness in the occult. So stick around for that. And um, before we sign off here for the regular show, uh, Amanda, can you tell my listeners where they can uh, connect with you and and follow you online? And if you have any like merch or anything, feel free to plug it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I am pretty effing spooky on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm also pretty effing spooky on YouTube and TikTok. Um, and I have a link in my Instagram bio to buy stickers and T-shirts and merch and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's pretty FN spooky, not the real word, uh, just FN, uh, pretty FN spooky everywhere. (laughs) Awesome. Great. Well, definitely check out her links and uh, stick around for more after we take a short break. Thanks again to Amanda for coming on the show and talking about some really interesting things. Uh, Definitely give her a follow over on Instagram uh, and any other socials she has. She's also on Twitter and TikTok. And uh, definitely go check out her YouTube channel as well, along with her website, prettyeffinspooky.com. That's pretty, the letters F, N, and spooky.com. 
Before I sign off the regular show here, I've got to give big thanks to all my patrons who helped make this show possible. We've got Alex Dorgan, Alyssa, Robin from the Mystic Novelty Company, Christine McTire, Chad from the Appalachian Huntsman, Michael Waddell from MetaZoo Games, Greg Morrill from All the Weird and the Order 66 podcast, Roberto Martinez, Sean Cologne, Miranda Jarnot, John Hickenbottom, Sarah Sherd, Maureen Asmat, Daniel Prepared Wolf, Kathy Howard, and Gail Frederick. If you'd like to become a patron and support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology for more information. I've got a whole bunch of tiers with some really cool rewards like early access to content, shout outs on social media, and on YouTube episodes, as well as the podcast itself, <laughs> exclusive content like the Strangeology Beyond Patreon segment of the show, which uh, sometimes you'll find goes on for quite a while, uh, as well as exclusive merch, shop discounts, and more. And as always, for regular listeners all around the world, thank you so much for listening and sharing the show. Last, uh, last I checked, the show has been downloaded in over 35 countries worldwide, which is awesome. And uh, that's it's blows my mind every time. <laughs> so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Also, make sure to follow me on all my social media accounts. Uh, Instagram, which is my kind of main base of operations, as well as Facebook, where I have a uh, listener private group there. So definitely join that. Uh, Twitter, and uh, we get weird over on TikTok too, if you haven't uh, checked that out yet. So also head on over to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. I've got a few new video ideas in the works, which I'm hoping to have uh, put together uh, later this summer. Uh, hopefully a little bit earlier than that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we're busy here at Strangeology. So, uh, and those videos will be exclusive to the channel. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. Also, the call is still out for anyone with personal stories of encounters with the strange and unexplained. Uh, so if you have a, a interesting story of something weird that you experienced, dial in to the Strangeology hotline. It's uh, The number is 802-448-0612. Again, that's 802-448-0612. I'm hoping to compile a collection of really cool stories for... A future episode of the show so definitely give me a call i want to hear your stories uh and just as an fyi there's a three minute limit on the voicemail so if the story takes a little bit longer than that just call back and leave another message picking up where you left off and that's about it for the regular show today thanks again for tuning in and for patrons stick around after the short break for strangeology beyond Amanda agreed to hang out for a little while longer, and uh, we get into more paranormal topics and general spookiness. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other, and keep it strange.
All right. Thank you, patrons, for sticking around and tuning in for Strangeology Beyond. I am stoked that uh, Amanda is going to hang out for a bit longer to chat about a few more things tonight. Uh, so thank you again for sticking around. Um, I wanted to dive into uh, another topic.